welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, as you are making your travel plans, remember to check johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is one of our Priceline affiliate links. So part of your purchase price supports the great detectives of old time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com. Air.com first. If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe using a podcast app of your choice, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Google Podcast, or the uh, Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. Well, this week we're going to present the latest Johnny Dollar episode to come into circulation. This is yet another one that we did not have access to when we first went through the John Lund uh, episodes a decade ago. Although I should say we do have two more of these still to play. But let's go ahead and get into today's episode, original air date, March the 30th, 1954. And the title is The Undried Fiddleback Matter. WBBM, 8 o'clock. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment presents for your listening enjoyment... John Lund as... Johnny Deller. Tom Harrison, Johnny. Ever hear of Edward Colton? Colton? Lumber Baron out in the West Coast somewhere? Portland, Oregon. We handle all his insurance out there. Fire and theft, workman's compensation, employees, surety bonds, the works. Well, what do you want from me? Congratulations. One of his employees just absconded with $10,000. Old man Colton threatens to cancel out on us unless we pay off or recover the stolen money within 48 hours. Oh, well, he's kind of worked up about this thing, isn't he? He's got a right to be. The missing employee is Edward Colton, Jr. Well, Johnny? Okay. And it's the rainy season out there, too. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum present these weekly adventures of Johnny Dollar because they know that millions of you enjoy Johnny Dollar. That's true of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, too. It's enjoyed by millions, day in and day out. People find that chewing on a smooth, delicious piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum somehow makes time pass more pleasantly. Whether you're working, driving, shopping, or just taking things easy, that good, tasty chewing gives you enjoyment and satisfaction. So always keep a package of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. And whenever you want a refreshing, delicious treat, chew a stick. You'll like it. You really will.
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Eastern Indemnity and Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the undried fiddleback matter. Expense account item one, $203.10. Airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Portland, Oregon. Much to my surprise, the sun was shining brightly when I arrived. I went straight to the Colton building on Southwest 3rd Street and was immediately ushered right into the presence of the old man himself. I want action, Dollar. Not long-winded investigation. Your company's check for 10000 or my money recovered in 48 hours. You sound more interested in the money than you do in your son. I'm not asking for your opinions, Dollar. Just results. Yeah. Well, suppose you tell me what happened, Mr. Colton. Well, yesterday was payday down at the mill. My son went to the bank, picked up the 10000 in cash for the payroll, and took off with it. As simple as that. Mm-hmm. You always meet your payroll with cash? Any lumberman worthy of his hire gets paid in cash. That's the way they want it, and that's the way they get it. Which should be pretty common knowledge around here. What's that got to do with it? Well, I was just wondering why you jumped to the conclusion that your son absconded with the money. I never jumped to conclusions. What about the possibility that he was waylaid and robbed? Not a chance. What makes you so sure? You're the investigator. Find out. Okay, Mr. Colton. Just get this straight, Mr. Dollar. I want that money. I don't care what you have to do to get it or what happens to that boy, you understand me? Uh, No, I can't say that I do. I walked the few blocks over to police headquarters at 209 Southwest Oak Street, where I met Detective Podless of the robbery detail. He filled me in on what they'd learned so far. Well, for what it's worth, here it is, Dollar. At approximately 2.05 p.m. yesterday, Edward Colton, Jr. picked up the Colton Company payroll at the security bank, teller's cage number three. And he walked outside, hailed a cab, and drove off. Haven't found a trace of him since. No question that it was Colton, Jr.? We got positive identification from the teller and the doorman. Mm-hmm. Well, a payroll that size must have been pretty bulky to handle. All 20s, 10s, and 5s. Old man Colton wanted it that way. He was quite a guy, the old man. Yeah, yeah. How'd his son carry the money? Had a black satchel chained to his wrist. No record of the serial numbers. Money was taken out of the general teller's stack. Bills that small, it'd be pretty tough to catch anyway. What about the cab? Nothing so far, but some of the drivers don't turn in their trip records for 24 to 48 hours. Cab company will notify us when it shows up, though. Have you come across anything to back up the old man's theory that his son skipped off with the money? No, not so far. Boy's got a little money in the bank, good reputation... Seems happily married with a young kid. Where's the motive? Uh, excuse me. Yeah, sure. Hey, Detective Podless. Uh huh. You sure? Where? Okay, be right there. Yeah, looks like we might get some answers out at the Colton Mill, Dollar. How's that? They just found young Colton's body. The Colton Lumber Company's mill was on the Willamette River off Front Avenue. Cam Rogers, the mill superintendent, led us toward some large drying kilns over to one side of the area. It was just by accident that I happened to find him. I'd have been in there another 48 hours if I hadn't had a hunch to check on the crossfire and fiddleback. Uh, What's that again, Rogers? Uh, Crossfire and fiddleback, a very rare grain pattern in certain woods. Old-time fiddle-makers were nuts for it. Well, what's that got to do with young Colton? Well, we got some drying in our special veneer kiln. Came from three mahogany logs, the only three out of a whole shipment of them that had the exact perfect pattern that the old man wanted. 
Now, this is a kiln. Here. You know, it's priceless stuff, that wood. The old man is going to use it to make a desk for young Eddie when he turned the business over to him. Yeah, right in here. How did you happen to come in here, Mr. Rogers? Oh, drying out wood like that's a pretty ticklish business. The humidity and temperature got to be under exact control or you ruin the whole lot. I came back here to check and, uh, well, that's what I found. Yeah. Nothing been touched in here? Oh, not a thing. The minute I saw him, I went out, padlocked the door, and put in a call to you and to the old man. Uh-huh. That uh, veneer he's lying on, is that the undried fiddleback? Yeah. The money bag's still on his wrist. Empty. Yeah. The killer could have wrapped the money in some burlap over there. Let we get the crime lab to check the prints. So, this is where you found him, Rogers? Yes, sir. Too bad. All those blood stains on the veneer, worthless now. I hadn't realized it was the wood we were interested in. You should have. The tree's got to have character to come up with a grain like that. Takes years of fighting tropical storms, drought, and disease, battling its way up against the odds, holding its head high and proud when it wins through to full growth. Character. Same kind a man has to have if he grows up to be a man. Well, that undried fiddleback's no good to me now, Rogers. Spoiled rotten like he was. Pull it out and burn it. Yes, sir. Well, I'll get the lab boys and coroner's man out here, Dollar. Till we get their reports, there's nothing else we can do. There's one thing. What's that? Somebody's got to tell the widow. Down, Mr. Dollar. I'll clean up these blocks and things while we talk. It won't take me but a minute. I think we'd better talk first, Mrs. Colton. No, I'd rather keep busy if you don't mind. You see, I already know what you're here to tell me. My father-in-law phoned me. Oh. I'm sorry, Mrs. Colton. No need to be. These things happen. A person can get killed walking down the sidewalk. He's struck down overnight by some fatal disease. No accounting for fate, I guess. There. Looks a little better now. How much did your father-in-law tell you? I know that Eddie has probably been murdered, if that's what you mean. Anything else? You mean about the money? No. You don't know anything about it except one thing. And what's that? Eddie never stole that money. He couldn't have. Oh, Eddie had his faults. We all do. He wasn't the strongest character in the world. Then how could he be after a lifetime of domination by his father? But a mean, petty thief? No. Not Eddie. Well, I'm sure you have every reason to believe that. I have the best reason, Mr. Dollar. I was his wife. Is there anything else you can tell me? Anything at all that can help to clear this up? Only what I've already told the police. Eddie left here yesterday morning at 8 o'clock. We expected him home at 5.30. We were sort of going to celebrate our daughter's birthday by having dinner out in a little neighborhood restaurant and going to a movie. You didn't see him or hear from him after he left? No, Nothing. That's Meredith. Strange that she should wake up now crying like that. It's almost as though she knows that she's never going to see her father again. She's going to miss him terribly, Mr. Dollar. She's going to miss him terribly. Terribly. 
after leaving Mrs. Colton, I went to a nearby drugstore and put in a call to Detective Podless. He had a couple of items of interest to report. We got a preliminary report from the medical examiner, Dollar. What do you have to say? Probable cause of death was a subcranial concussion and fracture. Probably received while Eddie Colton was standing erect. Shape of skull depression indicates possible use of round metal object. Possibly gun barrel or pipe. Uh Uh-huh. What about the time of death? Oh, it's wide open. Doc says the high temperature and humidity in the kiln toss all the measuring standards right out the window. Haven't been able to find any witnesses yet who saw young Colton go into the kiln, and there's still no sign of the money. Oh, so far we're doing just great. Oh, I don't know. We seem to be getting one break. Yeah, what's that? Cab company just phoned in. Got a trip report from a driver by the name of Max Wilkowski. Picked up a fare at the security bank at 2.07 yesterday afternoon. Well, where's the driver now? He's due to check in at the garage at 511 Northwest Brand Street in about 15 minutes. I'll meet you there. Expense account items two and three. $5.60. Cab fares to Mrs. Colton's and to the garage at 511 Northwest Brand Street. Detective Podless was there when I arrived and... We waited around for Max Wilkowski to show up. He finally did. Yeah, sure. I remember the guy, all right. Picked him up in front of the security bank a little after two. Carrying a black money satchel with a chain hanging onto his wrist. Remember where you took him, Wilkowski? You're kidding? Ain't every day that cheesy hack of mine makes like an armored car? Sure, I know. Right to his home. What makes you think it was his home? He told me, that's how. After he paid me off, I seen his wife meet him at the door. What's the address? Remember? It's down on my trip report, ain't it? I suppose you tell us. Well, I don't remember exactly the number. Something on uh, Northeast Chestnut. Yeah, 900 block, Northeast Chestnut. And his wife met him at the door? (laughs) Brother, I'll say she did. Really smooched him up plenty. What a baby doll blonde she is. Blonde, huh? Yeah. Well, thanks, Wilkowski. We might want to check with you again. Sure, any time. Glad to help. You know, Dollar, the 900 block on Chestnuts across town from where Eddie Colton lived. Oh, yeah? And there's one other thing. I know. Mrs. Colton's a brunette. Friends, here's a suggestion that'll help you go through a busy day feeling more relaxed and satisfied. From time to time, especially when you're feeling tense or under pressure, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. You see, chewing is a natural way to get rid of some of that pent-up tension. Chewing on a good, smooth piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum not only helps you feel relaxed, but also gives you taste enjoyment. There's lots of refreshing, delicious flavor in Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. You'll really enjoy it. So, do what millions do. Always keep Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy and chew some every day. You'll feel more relaxed and you'll get more enjoyment out of the things you do. Next time you're at the store, get a few packages of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum.
now with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Nine Twelve Northeast Chestnut was a swank, ultra-modern duplex. One of the apartments was empty. The other had the name Francine Martin, engraved on a plain white card over the mailbox. Well, whoever Francine Martin is, she's not home. Might be interesting to learn just where she is, huh? That's what I was thinking. I better get some men out here to cover the neighborhood. They should turn up something. Yeah, maybe. You don't think so? I was thinking she might have $10,000 in cash. And if she has? Portland could have been too confining for her. Expense account item four, $25. Rental of a 51 Ford sedan, which immediately saved another cab bill of approximately $3 back to the Colton building on 3rd Street. The old man was sitting in his office, staring blankly at his big, gnarled hands. What do you want now, Dollar? A little information about Francine Martin. So, you know about her? Who is she, Mr. Colton? Uh, cheap little hustling blonde. How long had your son known her? About a year. Started about the time my granddaughter Meredith was born. Did she work here? Yeah. Stupid little filing clerk. Nothing to her but a pretty painted face and a body. Well, looks like that was enough for your son. I don't understand it. How could he have done such a thing? Wonderful wife, wonderful little daughter. Everything I have is in trust for him. Would have been his next year. I worked all my life for that. To see him grow up to be a man worthy of taking over the Colton Empire. That was my dream. And he falls for that cheap little tramp. Ready to give up his whole family for her, to steal from his own father. If I had known that was the way it was going to end, I think I would have killed him myself. What did you do? Fired her the minute I learned about it. Nothing else? No. How long ago was that? A week, ten days. I'd like to check over the personnel file. She worked at the mill office. Cam Rogers will show you where it is. So Francine Martin's mixed up in this business, Mr. Dollar. Well, I can't say I'm surprised. What do you mean, Mr. Rogers? You know something about her and young Colton? No, didn't even have an idea they knew each other. Not until the old man called personally to have her fired. But I'm not surprised the girl's in trouble. Yeah, here's her personnel card. Thanks. A man-crazy little thing. She made a play for everything in pants that came within 50 feet of her. Mm-hmm. Anyone in particular outside of young Colton that she made a play for? No. No, not that I know of. Like I said, she played the field. It must have been somebody at the mill, though. What makes you think so? Well, young Colton was a pretty big man. No girl could have dragged him into the dry and kill and stacked him up there on top of that veneer. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but 
The trouble is, we got over 250 men working out here. How are you going to tell which one? That's a good question, Rogers. I wish I could answer it. I started checking over Francine's personnel card. Vital statistics, previous employers, the personnel manager's grading of Francine's work. And then I came to the listing headed, Nearest Living Relative. And it read, Brother, Max Wilkowski. Hi, Mac. How come you're back? Something new turn up on that Colton guy? You might call it that, Wilkowski. Yeah? What is it? It wouldn't be a reward or something for what I told you about him, would there? No, but the state of Oregon might come up with one for what you didn't tell about Francine Martin. Let's talk in here where it's private, huh? Yeah, sure. How'd you tumble, Mac? Her personnel card down at the office gave your name as her nearest living relative. So she finally told the truth about something for once in her life. I'm waiting to hear a little from you. Sure. Don't come easy, Mac. Even if she ain't no good, a guy don't like to rat on his own sister. I'm still waiting. Okay. Boils down like this. Ever since she was a kid, nothing was good enough for her. Not our name, the neighborhood we lived in, having a hacky for a brother. Nothing. Uh-huh. But she always had it figured someday she'd sink her hooks into a guy with dough. And Eddie Colton Jr. turned out to be the guy. Yeah. Did she ever come around to throw it in my push to show me how smart she was? Only time she ever came to see me was to brag about something. When she was in trouble. Always comes running to me when she's in trouble. Yeah? Well, what did she tell you? That she was going to Mexico with him and have herself a pot full of furs and diamonds. Well, it didn't make sense to me. His old man had all the dough, not him. Then she tells me they're leaving for Mexico yesterday. And it hits me that's the same day he gets the payroll for the mill. Is that why you picked up Colton at the bank? Yeah. I wanted to find out if I was right. When he gave me the Chestnut Street number, it all figured. Well, you weren't in much of a hurry to do anything about it. Why should I? I wanted to keep myself clean. I knew it'd turn up on my trip report and you guys would get after him. That way I kept myself clean. You got nothing to worry about, Wilkowski. I've got some fine showers down at police headquarters. At headquarters, Detective Podlis and I went round and round with him some more and came up with the same answers. He'd told us all he knew, and he had no idea where we might find his sister, Francine Martin. Well, what do you think, Dollar? Well, he could be telling the truth. It ties in with what we know, all right, which isn't much. Anything on the girl? No, we've drawn a blank so far. Nobody in the neighborhood saw Colton arriving there. Nobody saw him or her leave. That's not the way it is with my neighbors. Oh, mine either. You know, there's one gossipy old cat lives across the street from my house. I'll swear she trains a 20-inch telescope in our living room window every night. Mm-hmm. Your men finished checking Wilkowski's apartment? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Oh, it's getting late. It's time for me to go off duty. Why don't you knock off and relax for a while? I'll get in touch if anything breaks. That sounds like a pretty good idea. I was sure of it two and a half hours later when the Oregon skies opened up. 
put the cap on the climax for me after the long, cold wait I'd had in my car outside Max Wilkowski's apartment. And I was about to call it quits. Then a car pulled up in front of the entrance. I caught up with the driver just before she reached the door. Well, I was wondering when you were going to get here. What? Who are you? My name's Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. And let's get in out of the rain before we get drowned out here. What are you talking about? Let's not argue, Francine. It's here or police headquarters, but make up your mind fast. We'll go in. Ah, that's better. Look, I don't get this. What's an insurance investigator want with me at this hour? Some information about a $10,000 payroll and Eddie Colton. How'd you know I was coming here? Your brother said you always came running to him when you were in trouble. Yeah, that's right. I guess it was a mistake this time, though. He'll never be able to help me out of this one. Where you been hiding? Some all-night movies. A couple of small neighborhood bars. Well, how about telling me about it? What's there to tell? How do you talk about a dream that blows up in your face? (laughs) I had it all figured out, too. We'd go to Mexico, he'd get a divorce there, we'd get married, and I'd be Mrs. Eddie Colton, Jr. Everything I'd always wanted, the world at my feet. At today's prices, how much of the world can you buy with $10,000? What kind of a dope do you think I am? That kind of dough I could get from half a dozen guys. The Colton money I was after was coming to Eddie next year. Not that payroll money. He had it with him when your brother drove him out to your place? Sure. And he had it with him when I drove him down to the mill. He only stopped by to talk over our plans for leaving that night. What happened at the mill? Nothing. I dropped him off, went back home, packed, waited for him to pick me up. Only when I heard the six o'clock news broadcast, I knew he wasn't going to. Well, for a girl who's as innocent as all that, you've done an awful lot of running. What do you want me to do? Stand still and let the guy who killed Eddie kill me, too? What makes you think he'd do that? He told me so. Then you know who it is. Sure, I know. It's the guy I threw over when I started with Eddie. He told me he'd get me and Eddie someday. I figured it was a joke. Who is he? The mill superintendent, Cam Rogers. Podless was pretty sleepy when my call dragged him out of bed, but he woke up fast enough. He said he'd order an immediate pickup on Cam Rogers and send a squad car out to take Francine in. I told him not to bother. I'd bring her in myself. That was a mistake. I found that out as we started to pull away from the curb. I should have checked the back seat. Turn to the right at the next corner. Cam! Where are we going, Rogers? To the mill. What are you going to do? Turn right, I said. Sure. I'm not arguing. Oh, Cam, you're crazy. You can't explain away two more bodies. The Willamette River will take care of that for me. Oh, no. Why didn't you think of that for Eddie Colton, too? I didn't have time. I had to put him someplace until the mill closed down. Then we got a rush job and worked around the clock. Then it was too late. Turn left here. Okay. Too bad it had to turn out that way. Think you might have got away with it if the mill hadn't been working? I'm getting away with it anyway. You know, it's that beautiful piece of wood I'm thinking of. Too bad I had to spoil it that way. Uh-huh. Which way do we turn when we come to Front Avenue? Uh, do I go to the left or to... When 
I jammed on the brakes, Rogers fell halfway across the front seat. His shot went wild, and the edge of my hand across the back of his neck calmed him down. He slept like a baby. Expense account item five, $8.75. Repairs to rented car damaged by Roger's bullet. Expense account item six, $24.35. Hotel bill and miscellaneous. Expense account item seven, $213.50. Airfare and incidentals back to Hartford. Expense account total, $480.30. Remarks. The missing money, still wrapped in burlap, was found in the luggage compartment of Cam Rogers' car and returned to old man Colton. To no one's particular surprise, he wasn't the least bit interested in the money. Francine Martin's dream of the future wasn't the only one that came to an end on that piece of undried fiddleback. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, when you've got a package of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum with you, you're all set for refreshment and enjoyment at any time. At work, at home, in your car, wherever you are, just slip a stick of delicious Wrigley Spearmint Gum in your mouth and keep on with what you're doing. See how refreshing that lively spearmint flavor tastes, how it cools your mouth and helps keep your throat moist. Enjoy the good chewing, too. It'll make the time pass more pleasantly for you. And remember, chewing Wrigley's Spearmint Gum helps keep breath sweet and teeth clean. So it's a nice thing to have with you at all times. Get some next time you're at the store. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Sidney Marshall with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Clayton Post, Ralph Moody, Jack Moyles, Bill Conrad, Virginia Gregg, Mary Jane Croft, and Bill James. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs> The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at this time when from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Well, a fun addition to the circulating Johnny Dollar episodes. As a lifetime uh, Northwest United States guy, I appreciate getting some old-time radio set in that region of the country. Portland is one of the closer large cities to Boise. Closest, of course, is Salt Lake City. And then Spokane, Portland, and Reno are a similar distance away. There were a lot of nice touches in here in terms of accuracy. I checked, and 
They actually used the address for uh, the police headquarters in Portland. And all the details about the undried fiddleback you know, really are hallmarks of the writing of Sidney Marshall, who of course did such great work on The Man Called X in evoking all of those exotic locations, giving some real flavor to 1954 Portland was probably not too, all too much of a challenge for him. I also appreciated the complexity of the family relationship. When you first met the father, I think it was really easy to have a certain attitude towards him. And particularly when he was only concerned about the fiddleback when the body was discovered. And then, of course, you find out how his attitude had changed as a result of his son's affair and his willingness to go after this sort of very loose uh, woman. On the other hand, you do also have hints that the father's domineering behavior may have had a really negative effect on the son and perhaps in part of what caused him to uh, be willing to do something so irresponsible as essentially an act of rebellion. Though obviously he would be responsible for his own behavior. And of course, you know, we're not given enough to really fully understand the family dynamic. Just like Johnny, we're just given enough to understand what's relevant to the case. And I think the script uh, does a great job in grounding it in a bit more reality. I thought it was also smart to have it turn out that the plant foreman was the guy who actually committed the murder. And I, there was a hint of that in the way he talked about her. Which makes a lot of sense if uh, he's a jilted boyfriend. Alright, well, listener comments and feedback now. And we have a comment from Emmett. Johnny Dollar is one of the best things about Friday. And given that Friday's the start to the weekend, that says something. Thanks so much for your comment, Emmett. And... Uh, now we'll go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Rosa and John, Patreon supporters since January of 2020, currently supporting the program at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe using your favorite podcast app, including Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, uh, please rate and review wherever you download uh, your podcast from if they give you that capability. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Oh, hello, Jace. Thought you were never coming back. Find anything? Nope. Nobody seems to have been traveling Highway 75 last night. Lab boys didn't hit any jackpot either. Here's their report. Just came in. Hmm. Lab figures like we did that there was quite a scuffle before the shots were fired, but it don't mean much. 
No. But something in this fingerprint report might. You mean those matching prints found on the telephone receiver in the cash drawer? Uh-huh. Austin didn't have any record on whoever made them, so what good does that do? The report says they were fresh. These prints don't match the ones taken from the body, so they aren't court rights. Hey, wait a minute, Sheriff. Hmm? When you arrived at Courtright Station, Mrs. Bishop was at the telephone, wasn't she? Yeah, she was trying to call me. Well, then she was the last person to use the phone before those prints were pulled. Well, do you suppose that's her print on the phone? If it is, I'd sure like to know what its duplicate was doing on Courtright's cash drawer. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.